Amen. Well, good morning again. If I haven't said good morning to you, it's great to be here. And Brian kind of stole my introduction. I was going to give an update on the church, but um, it's great to be with you this morning because there's something amazing about being with you all because you were the people that supported us when no one else would, when no one was there for us, you were there for us, not only praying for us, but financially supporting us. Um, Our hymnals, our Bibles are from you guys. And so every week we gather and we get to sing because of you guys and we get to read our Bibles, you know, because of God's grace, but because of your support of us. And I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I don't seek the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your behalf. And so As you're gathering each week and praying for us, there's real people meeting (laughs) an hour south of you, Um, and it's really in part because of what you guys have done. And as Paul goes on to say in Philippians, it's a a gift that's acceptable and a sacrifice to God because of what you guys have done. So just thank you for all that you do to support our ministry and what God's doing at Covenant. It means a lot to us. So just I'm very thankful for you guys and all that God is doing through you all here at Faith. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me, um, uh, we'll open up to John 13 this morning. And we come to a passage today, maybe if you've glanced down at one of the headings in your Bible, we come to a very familiar passage in God's Word. John chapter 13, a very beloved, familiar passage for most of, most of us. And for good reason, if you look at your heading, this is the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Many people are familiar with this story of the washing of the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. And there's something I call the fear of familiarity, where we can be so familiar with a passage, so familiar with a text, and the fear is that we start to miss important parts of what is in the Word of God. Maybe there's other stories that you can think of that you're very familiar with, or maybe you even know by heart. And so the fear with that is it can become routine, it can become familiar to the point where we miss the heart of the passage and the heart of what God is saying. So what we're going to see this morning in this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is not only the love and condescension that Christ has and shows to his disciples and the example of Christ of humility and servant-hearted leadership but also the necessity of our being washed by Christ. And what we're going to see today is a picture of the sacrificial love of Jesus for not only his disciples, the 12 in the room with him, but you and I here gathered today by faith. And we're also going to see in this cleansing the grounds of our sacrificial love to one another, not just an isolated event but something that pertains to how we, you and I serve one another today. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me, we'll begin at verse 1 in John chapter 13. I'll read through verse 17. I'll pray for us real quick, and then we'll look at God's Word this morning. So this is the Word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, in a weak and needy state, uh, much like these disciples with our own stains and filthiness, we come before you. We are weak, we are in great need this morning, and we ask that you would, um, by the power of your Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would cause us to see the truths of your Word, cause us to see what Christ has done for us in washing and cleansing us, and that this morning we would live in light of that washing, in light of that cleansing and purification that you have brought only by Christ, and that we would love and serve one another out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for all that you have done for us. So this morning, we ask and pray that you would do this by your spirit, that you would help us to see what Christ has done for us, and that you would strengthen us by your grace and mercy. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you guys have come, you've been on a journey going through the Gospel of John. It's a rare thing for to see people go through a whole book of the Bible in a year, and so um, hopefully it's been beneficial to you. And so if you haven't been with um, Faith here, um, just, some, uh, just some context for where we've come from, because it's very pertinent to where we are at this morning. The Gospel of John is really centered on two kind of books. The first 12 chapters are what many call the book of signs. And so as you've been going through the Gospel of John, you've seen these seven different signs that our Lord has performed. The turning of water into wine, the feeding miraculously of 5,000 men, and it's culminated in this resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, showing not only Christ's power, but foreshadowing His coming future resurrection from the grave. But as you saw last week, this did not end on a very positive, uplifting note, did it? 
It was instead of being met with belief and repentance and turning to Christ and new hearts, Jesus was instead met with rejection, hardness of heart, and unbelief. And there's a parallel really in the scriptures. This isn't the first time we've seen this. If you remember in the book of Exodus, just as Jesus you know, performed many miracles, brought this manna from heaven. In the Old Testament, God did the same thing. He brought people out of the land of, of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage through many miracles. And yet the, the first generation in the wilderness hardened their heart against the Lord and grumbled and turned from him. And we sort of saw a summary last week in John chapter 12, verse 37 says, though he, that is Jesus, had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. That even though he did these miraculous works that were supposed to show forth his power, show forth his mission, his role as the Messiah, the people still did not believe in him. And so as we come to John 13, we're coming to this very intimate setting, as Jeff mentioned earlier, this intimate setting where Jesus has now gathered almost this new community around himself, the 12 disciples, the ones that are believing in him. And what we're going to see this morning is that, and what you'll see over the next four chapters really in John 13 through 17 is Jesus' intimate message with those that have trusted in him, have believed in him, and how they are to live in light of not only his coming death and resurrection, but how they are to live in light of um, his absence, his ascending to the Father, and his pouring out of the Spirit. So that brings us up to speed with where we're at this morning. So this morning, we're going to look at three different things. It wouldn't be a good sermon if there wasn't three different points, right? So <laughs> three, uh, three things we're going to look at this morning. First, in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the love of Christ, the unchanging love of Christ for his people. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 5. And then in verses um, 6 through 11, we're going to see this washing of Christ, how he washes the feet of his disciples and how that points to a greater spiritual reality. And then finally, we'll see the example of Christ in verses 12 through 17. So first, let's look at the love of Christ. So as we've said, we've seen the 12 in the upper room. They are there on the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed. And we see that foreshadowed in our text this morning. They're in the upper room. John tells us his hour has come. The whole gospel of John has been building to this point. His hour had not yet come. They try to arrest him. They try to stone him. His hour has not come. And we see in John 13 that his hour has come to depart out of this world to the Father. And even though he will be betrayed by one of the 12, we see here this profound love that Christ has for his people. And we see that even in the first verse. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved his own to the end. And this is, this is talking about the 11 disciples and by implication, all those that have faith in him. And this should remind us of John chapter one. If you remember in the prologue to John, if you have your Bibles, you could turn there if you wanted. John chapter one, we see this similar language come up of his own, but it's used in a different way. And I think John is tying these things together, trying to show us that there's a change that has taken place. In John chapter 1, he's talking about this word that has come into the world and that it's rejected. He, he's really foretelling us what's going to happen in the rest of the gospel. 
And in John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Jesus, he, the word, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, speaking about the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we see that phrase, his own, used in this context. And we can say this, that his own has been transformed, not from a people of the flesh, but from a people of faith, that his own now are those that are believing in him, that have confessed, as Peter confessed, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so it says he loved them to the end, that this love of God for his people is not only the motivation behind the sending of the Son, what's everybody's favorite verse, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So we see not only the reason for the sending of the son, not only the reason for the keeping of his people, this profound love, but it's also the reason for this act of love and humility that we see in our verses this morning. So that brings us to our second point, the washing of Christ, the washing of Christ for his people. That what we see here is an acted out picture We see an acted out picture of the love of Christ. We see in verses four through five, it says Jesus rises from the supper, this this feast of the Passover that they were partaking of. He rises from supper. He removes his outer garments. He, um, He pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, you and I might not think much of this, but if we know the context here, there's three things that really should jump out about this account, that it should be shocking to those that would have heard it and shocking to you and I. Why do I say that? The first is this is a first century context, right? So there is, there's no cars. The way of transportation is by horse and animal. And so what do animals leave behind them? If you've ever been to a <laughs> Amish society, you know exactly what's left behind them. And so there's no indoor plumbing. There's no public, you know, bathrooms. There's just a lot of things that are on the road. And you can, I'll let you, I'll let you figure that out. So this would have been a very dirty place to walk, a very filthy place to walk around in. And it's not only that it was dirty, but this job of washing the feet was usually for the household servant or slave, that the indentured servant was the one that would come and wash the feet of those that would come to the supper. And that's not the case here. And so the third thing is that Jesus is not a slave. He's not a servant. He's their teacher. He's their rabbi. He's their one that they have been following. And yet it is him that is kneeling down and washing their filthy, dirty feet. And so it's almost hard to come up with a parallel here. It'd almost be like the president coming and doing your dishes or the, the king of England or something coming and doing your laundry. It's, it's almost unthinkable how shocking this would have been to the people that were not only in the room, but the people that would be reading and hearing this story. And we see this reflected in Peter's response. He's often sort of the mouthpiece of the disciples. <laughs> Peter's always the one that's speaking up maybe a little too quickly. And he objects. He, he doesn't get what's going on. How can the one, the perfect son of God, how can he come and wash my dirty feet? 
How can the hands that cleansed the leopard, the hands that turned water into wine, the hands that raised Lazarus from the dead, how can those same hands wash me? How can this be? And in verse 7, we see Jesus, as the good teacher, say, what I am doing, you do not understand now. He's saying, you're not, you're not going to get it, Peter. <laughs> He's really saying, trust me. Trust me. I, I know what I'm doing. You're not going to know everything about what's going on, but you need to trust what I'm doing. This was a common thing for rabbis to do, was to perform an act that was sort of odd, that was sort of meant to get your attention, and then would later be explained. And, and Peter, <laughs> he's impatient, right? He's impatient like you and I. He, he persists in this questioning, and he persists to the point of what we see in verse 8. Peter exclaims, you shall never wash me. You shall never wash me. Why does Peter say this? Why does he do this? He's indignant. He says, this is a line too far. You will never wash me me. I'm too dirty. I'm too filthy. You are the teacher. I am the student. You are the savior. I'm the sinner. You're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to wash me. And I think you and I can identify with this when we think about ourselves and our relationship to Christ, that oftentimes in our sin, we can feel that way. We can feel too dirty, too filthy, And we can say, similar to what Peter said, there's no way you could wash me. There's no way you could see what I've done, the sin that I've committed. There's no way you could see that and cleanse me and wash me. And as we see Christ's response, we see that there's more going on than just a physical washing. There's something that's being alluded to, and we see that at the end of verse 8, Jesus says this. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. We see that what is going on is more than just a physical washing of the feet, but a picture of their need for the spiritual washing of their very soul. That what Jesus is alluding to is not just the physical washing of their feet. He's not just saying, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to be saved. He's saying, if I don't wash you spiritually, there's no hope for you. This is an acted out picture of their need and our need to be washed by Christ. Jesus is saying, there's no other way to be cleansed. There's no other way that you're going to be made right with me apart from this washing that I have. If I do not wash you, you have no part for me. This is the whole reason I came, Peter. You're not understanding. I came to save sinners. This is why I came into the world. As he'll say in um, Luke chapter 5, if you're familiar with that passage, the Pharisees don't understand why Jesus is with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. They don't get it. They don't understand. And Jesus says, it is not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. This is why I came. I didn't, came to, I didn't come to save those who are self-righteous, those, those that don't see their need for me. I came to save the sinners, the ones that see their need and turn to me. That's the whole reason I came. You need to be cleansed by me. And if you are, he says, you are completely clean, completely cleansed, completely made new. And we can start to see how this pictures what Christ will do on the cross. This is the work of his atonement, his saving death and resurrection of cleansing his people from their sins, his self-sacrificial act for them, washing them by his blood and cleansing them by his spirit. And it's only when we see that rightly, what Jesus is picturing there, that we can turn to our third point this morning and see the example of Christ, the example of Christ in verses 12 through 17. It's only after we have seen this that we can rightly see the example that Christ sets for his people. That he who was perfect without blemish came to wash filthy sinners not only their feet, but their sins. And if that is true, how much more should we who are undeserving out of thankfulness and gratitude stoop down and serve one another with this self-sacrificial love that we see displayed in our Savior? This is what Jesus says in verses 13 through 15. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. If I, who who am your teacher and Lord, have done this, how much more should you, who are sinners and filthy, wash and serve one another? That as believers, this is our charge. Our charge is to love one another. (laughs) Our charge is to love and serve one another in humility and meekness and lowliness in self-sacrificial love of one another. To our brothers and sisters in the faith, even more so, right? And this is what we see throughout the New Testament. Count yourselves not more highly than you ought to. Out of, out of love for one another, serve one another with a heart that has been changed by God. This is what marks the people of God, and it is the foundation of our service to one another is the washing of Christ. So what we see here is Christ is not just saying, here's an example, here's what you need to do, go do it. He's saying, this is a picture of what I have done for you and what I'm going to do for you. And in light of that, you can actually serve one another from a heart that's been changed, that has been washed by him. And so how do we, how do we apply this passage? How do we, what do we take away from these verses this morning? A couple things by way of application and something that we need to think about. The first thing is this, we see in these verses the necessity of being washed by Christ. We see the necessity, our need to be washed by Christ. As Jesus said in verse 8, if I do not wash you, you have no share 
with me, that we must this morning be washed by Christ. There's no, there's no other way. There's no other way to have a part with Christ than to be washed by him, to be purified by his blood, to be made clean, to be justified, to be um, cleansed and purified. As um, the Lutheran um, said, Philip Melanchthon, he said, this is the scandal of the cross, that the one who was pure and clean might cleanse those who were filthy and dirty, that the righteous one who knew no sin would become sin on the cross and identify with sinners, taking their sin upon himself and giving us his perfect righteousness. So this is what we call the great exchange, our sin placed on Christ and his righteousness given to us by faith, and that as believers in Christ, by faith, we are washed, we are made clean, we are purified and cleansed from our sin, given the pure white garments of Christ's righteousness, even though all we have to give is our filthy rags, even though we've earned the complete opposite, Christ has taken our sin on himself so that we might be cleansed. And what's amazing is as you go through the Bible, this language of washing comes up, not only in context of our sanctification, but in terms of what God has done in our justification and regeneration. Titus says this in chapter 3, verse 3. He's talking about our life before we were saved, before we were Christians. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But then listen to what he says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That this is what God has done. He has washed us by his word and spirit, purified us, cleansed us, made us new. And then like Jesus said, if you have been washed by me, you are completely clean. <laughs> and you see there's a little bit of a discussion here about, he says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Many commentators would say what Jesus is saying there is, we're justified once. We don't need to be re-justified over and over again. This washing of the feet is to picture our daily need for confession and repentance as we do each Sunday. But um, the one-time cleansing of Christ, being made right in God's eyes, is, is a one-time thing, and we are completely clean because of what Christ has done. So the second thing we need to look at this morning is that it's only then, only when we see what God has done, how he has cleansed us, how he has taken away our sins, that we can rightly serve one another. That's the only way. The only way is if we see first what God has done, only then can we respond and serve rightly out of self-sacrificial love one another. That Christ first washing us is the only grounds and motivation of our self-sacrificial love to one another. It's the only grounds. 
And if we are only serving one another because we think, well, it's a good thing to do, or maybe it'll make me right with God, or maybe that's how I'll be saved. If I do enough good things, then God will make me right then we've flipped the gospel on its head. We've flipped the good news of what Christ has done. And we've said, first you need to do this and then I'll make you right. The gospel is the opposite. It says, no, God has done this. And in light of what God has done, this is how we are to live. And so we don't, we don't, we got to be very careful about how we handle these examples of our Lord. He's saying, I have washed you. Therefore, this is how you should live. And so when we see this rightly, we can say that Christ has washed us. He has done it all. <laughs> he has made us pure. He's cleansed us by his blood. We didn't deserve it in our sins, but in the person and work of Christ, God has made a way. He's made a way for sinners to be made right with him by faith and out of gratitude and thankfulness, we can actually serve one another. We can actually give of ourselves in a way that actually hurts sometimes, <laughs> that's uncomfortable, that, that presses us, but it's out of love and gratitude for what God has done for us. And to close, I'm reminded of one of the great hymns, Rock of Ages. It says this, Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. And in the third verse, it goes on to say this, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless Look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's our only hope this morning. That's our only hope is to be washed by our Savior. May we come as foul as we are. May we come to the fountain. May we be washed by him. And out of that, love and serve one another until our Lord returns. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning for your washing for the spiritual cleansing that you have brought to our very souls by faith, that even though we have not deserved your love and we have only earned the opposite of your grace, in your mercy you have saved us and changed us by the washing of regeneration and by your word and spirit. And so this morning we come with nothing in our hands. They're empty. We have nothing that we could bring to you, no gain that we could bring to you. We come empty-handed and we come running to the fountain, the fountain of living water, the only fountain that washes and cleanses our weary souls and gives life and breath to us. And it is only by that that we can actually love and serve one another out of gratitude and thankfulness for what you have done in us. And so this morning we ask and pray that you would work in our souls, that you would remind us of what Christ has done for sinners like us, and that by your spirit you would empower us to serve your people out of self-sacrificial love, not to earn something from you, not to gain your favor, but because of what you have done for us. We thank you that you have saved us, you have made us new, and we pray this morning that we would live in light of that. We will fail, we will need to confess and repent, we will need to be daily washed, our feet cleansed by you, 
but we know that for those that are in Christ, they are completely clean, and we trust and rest on that alone this morning. We need your help. We need your strength. We ask and pray that you would do these things. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.